0: Welcome to Our Shoreline, Your Horizon, a podcast by Dan Casey, featuring business and economic development news from St. Clair County, Michigan. Stretch your horizons in the beautiful shoreline communities of St. Clair County, home to one of the nation's busiest international
1: border crossings. Learn more at edascc.com. I'm Dan Casey with the Economic Development Alliance of St. Clair County, Michigan, And thank you for tuning into this week's Our Shoreline, Your Horizon, a podcast about economic development in the Thumb Coast region. The Michigan Economic Development Corporation recently launched a five-year strategy to support the transformation of Michigan's manufacturing sector by introducing Industry 4.0 technologies to the business and plant floor. It's all about robots, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, and how to use data to drive decisions. So Most of us like robots. It's easy to think that this transformation is all about replacing people with cool toys. But that's not really what Industry 4.0 is about. Rather, it's about using technology smartly to solve workforce shortages, streamline processes, cut costs, and create efficiencies. People are still critical in Industry 4.0, but they are just skilled in a different way. So in St. Clair County, we're implementing an Industry 4.0 grant-funded project to help our manufacturers begin to make the transition. And here with me today is one of our partners in the project, Tom Kelly, the Executive Director and CEO of Automation Alley. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming in. So this is a complicated topic. That's one of the first things I learned when someone said, what's Industry 4.0? Most people don't know what it is. Um, It's not obvious, right? So some companies in healthcare, retail, and even manufacturing are struggling to understand how it can help their business. So how would you describe Industry 4.0? That's a great question, Dan. So, so Industry 4.0
0: is really just a euphemism for the fourth industrial revolution. So, if you think about uh, a short little history lesson, the first was steam, when we invented the steam engine, and it changed how work was done. The second was Henry Ford created the assembly line, about the same time that Thomas Edison created electricity, and what that did was opened up a whole new way to do manufacturing. And Michigan actually invented the second industrial revolution. So, we created great wealth the city of Detroit was one of the richest cities in the world. In fact, I believe it was the richest city in the world because of the second industrial revolution. And and we prospered because of it. The third industrial revolution was computers and robots kind of came on the scene. And once again, Michigan was at the forefront because of the work we had done in the second industrial revolution. Now we're coming into this fourth wave, this fourth industrial revolution, which is the digitization of everything. And because It has less to do with the physicalness of making things and more about using artificial intelligence and data and understanding the complexities of manufacturing. Michigan actually isn't all that well prepared for it. Areas like Silicon Valley and and China and Mexico, they are working very hard to digitize their manufacturing because they see a chance to leapfrog Michigan and what we have and take what we have. And so we have to get everybody prepared for this digital revolution. And we call it the Industry 4.0, just so people can you know, have a brand that they can chew on and say, oh, that's Industry 4.0.
1: So that's how I would describe it. Okay, that, that's helpful. One thing that I always wanna remind people about is that our companies are in competition with other companies. And it's not just national, but it's global, right? And so that being the case, they always have to ensure that they have their position and they have their cost advantages, right? So that's one of the things that Industry 4.0 does for companies is help to cut costs, create efficiencies on the plant floor. So what's the risk to them if they don't do this?
0: Well, obviously, clearly the risk if they don't do it is that they're going to go out of business. And I don't want to say that cavalierly or say that will come true because there's a lot of conflicting forces. This will, this, when we talk about a revolution, these things play out over decades. <laughs> so Dan, when we're talking about, hey, you got to digitize, we don't mean today. We mean start thinking about what you need to be doing to stay competitive on the global stage. Because if you can't share information up and down your supply chain, if, if you are keeping that information, well, that's competitive advantage. You're missing out on what's really happening in the world. You have to be in a position to understand what your suppliers are doing in real time and your customers are going to expect that you can feed them information about what you're doing real time. And that scares the heck out of manufacturers because we've all lived in that world. And manufacturers are like, Tom, I don't want to show you my kitchen because it's on fire literally every day. I'm putting fires out. I'm just trying to get product. I'm trying to minimize scrap. I'm trying to understand what I'm doing. And what we're saying is it's too late for that. Everybody knows you got those problems because every other manufacturer has the same problems. You need to share that data up and down. And that's what's going to change how competitive you are. Because I'll give you one example. So if you are a manufacturer in the auto industry and you can't share data with Ford or General Motors or Stellantis or their tier ones, they're going to find somebody down I-75 that can, and they're not going to care about the geography because that's not what saves them money. They can logistically move the parts around. What's very valuable to them is understanding what's going on in that plant so they can manage their just-in-time inventories. And let me tell you, in a world of COVID, managing just-in-time inventories has become the number one issue for all of the of the companies that are out in the world that deal with manufacturing. They're all focused on that. And the the solutions that are putting in place, you don't see them today, but they're all getting put in place very quickly and they're all I-40 solutions. Show me what you got, show me what you're working on, show me your working process, show me your supplier's working process so that we never have these uh, supply chain problems. And you're seeing it of course
1: in semiconductors, it's playing out in spades. And it's affecting Michigan badly. This transformation has already begun in the industry. And and it began years ago, right, with the advent of robots on the plant floor. And it's continuing today. People would probably be amazed, unless they're familiar with the industry, they'd be amazed at what robots are doing today, right? Um, Well, they'd be amazed at the cost.
0: Uh, The cost, yeah. So if you think one example of I-4O would be the collaborative robotics. So robots today, you don't need any sort of special knowledge to program them. That's new for a lot of manufacturers. Yeah, Tom, I looked at robots five years ago and they, it would have cost me 80000 to hire somebody to program the darn thing. And by the way, I, you know, I don't even know if I'll use it all the time because I'm a small guy. So it, it, I can't afford to drop 150000 and then another 80000 on the worker to do the work. Today, collaborative robots are under 50000 and you don't need special skills to program them. It's it's literally you move the robot and you 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 tell it what to do and you push a button. It says, okay, I'll do that every time. And they're cheap enough that you absolutely need to be looking at collaborative robots today. I'm not saying you gotta go buy one today, but you better go back to the well and say, I really need to understand what what's changed because they work alongside. You don't have to buy the safety the yellow safety cages anymore because they're they're small. They they understand they're working alongside people. They can stop. They have all kinds of sensors and technology. It's a different world. And by the way, you'd see this too, Dan. Every single manufacturer I talk to is short of people. Every single one of them. And not, not a couple. Every single one of them. Collaborative robots are not job killers. They're job creators because I can't take the order if I don't have the people to do it. And what you're doing is you're putting other people at risk because you can't take the orders. So robots are a way to get up over the hill where you actually can take those orders now. And fulfill them, and keep the economy humming where you are.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but the people have higher skills, right? And they generally are making more money too. So yeah. it's actually good for companies uh, from the standpoint of looking out for their employees to make sure that they're making a quality living. That's right. And once the
0: once the stress from the, for for that employee, when the robot comes in, they think, "Uh oh, here we go. <laughs> this can't be good." Then then this little collaborative robots working alongside them, and they go. Oh, you got to pry that for my cold, dead hands. You're never taking that out of here because this is so helpful to me for what I have to do. So once you get over that cultural shift that this is, going to, this is what's going to be, be uh, how we're going to do this work, workers will, will embrace it. And we see that in the, wor- in the work that we're doing with some of our manufacturers uh, within Automation Alley.
1: So some other examples that I've seen that are local is uh, one company that uses autonomous high-low's. And they have a combination of manned HILOs and autonomous HILOs in the middle of a plant floor working in between cells while people are assembling parts. And uh, I remember being in the plant and one of these autonomous HILOs got within two feet of me. I mean, that close without actually hitting me, it knew I was there and it stopped. It didn't get any closer. So that's another example. And then another one that I've seen that I wanted you to touch on is the advent of 3D printing. So we have a company in the county, for example, that originally bought a 3D printer to help them with some of their design work that they're doing, right? But today, just a year later, now they're actually using it for short production runs.
0: That's right. And that's only going to continue. So 3D printing is, if anybody listening today said, Tom, give me the one technology I really need to focus on in all of this I4O. You know, we talked about artificial intelligence and we have big data and virtual reality and augmented reality and the industrial internet of things and sensors and cloud cybersecurity, all these terms, just pay attention to 3D printing because it's the one technology that puts the entire subtractive manufacturing capital that you have at play today at risk. If you don't understand what's happening in 3D printing, you have to understand what's happening in 3D printing. It's not optional anymore because just what you described, that Companies will say, Tom, it, it, these, these printers that are capable of production, they're thousand dollars 50000 I don't exactly know what I'm going to do with that printer. Therefore, I can't take the capital risk. Therefore, I never understand what's possible. What I'm saying is find a way to go talk to your buddy, go do something. If you can, get into the 3D printing business and not for prototyping. Everybody's done 3D printing in in prototyping. And it's worked out very well. I can see what this is going to be. And then I take it over to subtractive. and I do it. Buy a printer that allows you to print in aluminum strength carbon fiber. And then come talk to Dan or me about the transformation that you just had, the epiphany that you had that went, holy cow, I can't believe what's possible today, Tom. I mean, and this is in the run of about two years. Two years ago, you could not do production capable carbon fiber parts that could go right onto a tractor and out the door. Today you can. And those printers cost $20,000. By the way, I was talking to a printer manufacturer. Next year's printers, $8,000. This is what's happening with the digitization, which is why I don't care what you tell me you investigated a year ago. Technology is moving so fast, you have to investigate every year. Is the time right now 50 grand, 20 grand, 8 grand? At what point is it worth your while to say, I got to jump in?
1: So, our grant funded project is really about. Uh, showing companies what the possibilities are and helping them to get started on that road. What would you say, and I know this is a big field and there's a lot of different technologies out there, but what would be one of the first things that a company would want to do if they want to begin exploring this?
0: First thing I would tell you is it's never about the technology. There's two things that need to happen for companies to be successful going down this digitization path. The first is make sure your house is in order and you're generating enough profit to take some risk. If you're not generating enough profit, don't get into this game because it's going to end badly, (laughs) right? Don't do that. So that means lean yourself out. Do what you got to do. Call the MMTC. Get them in. Figure out how to begin to generate excess returns from the business you have that will provide the seed corn that allows you to invest in the business you want to have in the digital future. The second thing I would advise is make sure you understand yourself as a person. Are you culturally ready to drive this change. Because a lot of manufacturers are like, Tom, I'm a salt of the earth guy. I roll up my sleeves. Every day I go and I tinker with machines. Digital ain't my bag, baby. Little Austin Powers. But it's okay. Bring somebody in that is their bag, that they really love this digital and manufacturing coming together. And then teach them what you know, because you have great skills that need to be transferred to this new I4O world but at the same time, this world isn't going to slow down. It's coming. And so we need to transfer the skills to the new generation. They're digital natives. You don't have to teach them anything about the technology side. You need to teach them about the business. So ask yourself those two questions. Am I generating enough money to play in this space? If not, maybe your strategy is, look, I'm, I'm going to do an earnout with my employees. Maybe they're more. I'm just not motivated to get through this right. next transition. I mortgaged my house in 2010, finally got it paid off. I'm in a good spot, Tom. I don't want to do it again. But don't deny your employees the right to continue to work there. So say, hey, there's probably some young employees. So, yeah, will. We, well, let's buy the business from you and keep it here locally. So there's, those are the two things I would advise because they're the most important, culture and finance. Make sure you have those two things.
1: So and I think the future is here right now. So companies really need to begin moving in this direction. What's it going to look like in 10 years? If we start going down this, this path, what do you predict for the future?
0: If I knew I'd be a rich man. If you want me to guess, if I were to guess, what scares it's both an opportunity and a risk. What scares me to death is that 3D printing continues down this exponential cost curve and things begin to get 3D printed that you should have no business being 3D printed. It used to be that, oh, but you know, 3D printing's good for the one-offs, but the volume is where you get killed. If 3D printing in ten years, that's a long, long time in 3D printing world, gets to a volume place. Well, we have all of our capital in manufacturing is invested in assembly lines that can make one thing really, really, really well. The danger of 3D printing is I can make everything really, really well. And complexity is free. So I can bend metal, it costs me something. If I want to put six twists on the metal, it costs me six times as much. In 3D printing, it's the exact same price. It's It's the cost of the material because the machine does all the work and the complexity is free. If you look out ten years, that's what keeps me up at night in the state of Michigan. Is we have to get our manufacturers to embrace three D printing and be ready for that transition.
1: So it's like really the previous revolutions that uh, we went through as a country and, and globally is that we still have a lot to learn, but it's going to happen faster than we realize, and the technology is going to advance in ways that we can't predict.
0: Yeah. So let me give you one last example because we're running out of time. So think about the iPhone. Three, which was 2007. It was, it was the first iPhone that you could actually, was actually useful, right? That was like 2007, 2008. Fast forward 12 years to the phone we have today, same thing's going to happen in manufacturing. It's hard to even get your head around. You, as, a, as, a, as a consumer, so you're, you're a manufacturing owner, but you're also a consumer. As a consumer, you just go along with the wave. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Look at all this cool stuff I can do, Dan. Look, do you see my new phone? It can do this now and this now. And you embrace it. But when you put your manufacturing CEO hat on, you go, oh, crap. Look at all. I can't keep up with all this change. So you can't have it both ways. But the world is moving at the pace of the iPhone. Every year, there's a new iPhone that comes out. And that's what we need to get our head around with manufacturing. There's going to be new ways to do things every year. And we need to stay
1: up on it. And that's the nature of innovation. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you being here today. We could probably talk about this for an hour. So I want to uh, invite you to come back on the show in the future.
0: You bet. I'm happy to do it, and I love being here. Thanks, Dan.
1: And I also want to thank our audience for joining me on Our Shoreline, Your Horizon. I'll catch you on the next wave. Thanks for listening. To hear more, visit the
0: podcast page at WGRT.com or find Our Shoreline, Your Horizon, on your favorite podcast app.